When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino style games to choose from, you too could win life changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a world. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hello and welcome to the Autosport Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Kalanorkas. Formula 1's first Emilia-Romagna Grand Prix took place today at Imola, where Mercedes sealed its seventh consecutive Constructors' Championship with a 1-2 victory in what was a more dramatic race than some have been predicting ahead of the start. At that start, pulses of Valtteri Bottas led away easily when the lights went out, but his teammate Lewis Hamilton was slow away from second. That allowed Max Verstappen by, with Hamilton left reflecting he'd have done things differently had he been able to repeat the process again. In the first stint, Bottas held Verstappen at arm's length as the top three quickly raced clear of the pack, but it became clear he wasn't able to run at full tilt as he'd run over debris on the race's second lap, a large piece of what appeared to be Ferrari bodywork, possibly from Sebastian Vettel's collision with Kevin Magnusser at the Tosa hairpin on the first lap, which left him with significant floor damage. Bottas reckoned that was costing him 50 points of downforce, but he nevertheless looked in control up front, with Hamilton backing off from the rear of Verstappen's car after getting into DRS range, but no closer early on. Bottas gave it his all, approaching the expected sole stops of the race, gapping Verstappen by over two seconds before the Red Bull came in. Mercedes brought Bottas in the next time by, and he was able to stay ahead. Hamilton then began his charge as Mercedes quickly moved to extend his stint in a bid to jump Verstappen. But Hamilton's pace on aging mediums was so great he was even in range of jumping into the lead as Bottas struggled with his hobbled car on new hard tyres. Then, when Esteban Ocon pulled over with a suspected gearbox issue, the ensuing virtual safety car gave Hamilton the chance to pit and rejoin in the lead with ease. He looked to be heading clear for the win from there with Verstappen passing Bottas after the second time the Finn had run wide and dipped his wheels in the gravel at the Ravazza final corners. But a dramatic tyre blower on Verstappen's car approaching the final lap brought out the safety car with Hamilton only just staying in front of Bottas when he stopped a lap later into the race suspension which was then extended when George Russell crashed following the safety car while running in the points positions. 
Hamilton nevertheless held on to win after a five-lap shootout on the soft tyres, setting a string of fastest laps, with Renault's Daniel Ricciardo taking the final spot on the podium after Racing Point had given up track position ahead of the Renault by pitting Sergio Perez under the safety car. So, joining me tonight to discuss all of that and more on Zoom are Motorsport.com's F1 editor Jonathan Noble, Motorsport Network's Director of Digital Strategy Jess McFadden, and GP Racing Executive Editor Stuart Codley. Now, first up, a confession. Having been at Imola all weekend, I'm actually back home in London after Luke Smith and I had to catch our return flight a day earlier than expected due to a flight cancellation. Not that I'm complaining, as it means my 14-day quarantine will end a day earlier than expected. Still be 14 days, of course, but it just means it will end in two Sundays' time. So, guys, let's start unoriginally at the start of the race. Lewis Hamilton came into the came into the event predicting it was going to be a very boring race. He didn't think anybody would be able to overtake at the Imola track. I don't think he imagined that's exactly how he would have started, Codders. What did you think when the lights went out? Were you, where were you watching, first of all? Were you in the Lord Heseltine Theatre, as I can see you are right now? Uh, I, I, I was indeed, and I am. It was an extraordinary scene, wasn't it? Um, I don't think Lewis quite expected the, the certainly the first phase of this race to pan out uh, as it did, because um, whether it was because he got a little bit of wheel spin, uh, or maybe in the second phase of his acceleration, uh, or whether, as Christian Horner called him, um, Valtteri Bottas inadvertently gave Max a sort of a bit of a slipstream but Max was able to sort of pull alongside Lewis and get alongside into we know what used to be a flat out left-hand corner and is now a bit of a chicane at the Tamburello. He certainly did and Hamilton actually um, came under a little bit of pressure from Daniel Ricciardo and as he was sort of edging his way into position sort of shoved Pierre Gasly fairly firmly Gasly having to back off but it wasn't a good race for him as we will come on to later on not his fault of course um but yeah I guess the 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 real the most the, the most intriguing bit for the outcome of this race actually sort of happened off camera no one saw Bottas running over the significant piece of debris but John it was sort of it, it went around social media I'm guessing Mercedes sent out on on their WhatsApp group the the big bit of red carbon fiber that had, had got stuck in his car I think they they tried to get to get it off at his pit stop when he came in uh, to cover the Verstappen's early stop, but they just couldn't do it. But what did it look like he'd run over? What part of Ferrari was that? Uh, I th- we, well, I think it was Sebastian Vettel's end plate. Vettel had collided with Kevin Magnussen on, on lap one. Uh, he'd gone down the the inside, or actually Kevin had gone around the outside because Seb had lost some momentum. Uh, and as they turned in, they, they um, collided. Uh, it just nicked off the right-hand side end plate, which then left in the middle of the track. Uh, and for some reason, no warning for the drivers. Uh, and as they came round, I think Valtteri said he saw it, realised if he if he went over it with a tyre, it could lead to a puncture. So he just went straight over it um, and I think got hooked underneath the car. Um, so as well as a bit of bit of damage, the barge board stuck under the car, a uh, huge loss of downforce. And I think Mercedes retrieved it in the, the safety car pit stop when they had a bit more time because they weren't under so much time pressure. Um, to do things but by then it was it was too late the race the race was run it certainly was it was like I said in the intro 50 points of downforce we reckon that was nearly a second per lap that's sort of our estimations I consulted our technical editor Jake Boxall Leg to give me that uh, that little guess there but yeah Jess I mean terrible luck for Bottas on what had been a pretty pretty strong weekend he beats Hamilton in qualifying he stays ahead of a snap and even with a hobbled car but something something again strikes and, and cost him probably costs him a win the F1 gods have not been kind to Bottas this season. Um, it's been a, another race where 
actually being in the position that you want to be in, theoretically speaking, turned out to be the worst position ever he could find himself in, which F1 is is a funny old game. It's not exactly always what we would maybe consider to be fair. Fair is probably the wrong word, but, but there are so many points at play, variables at play, things that go your way, things that go against you. Um, and sometimes a driver can do absolutely everything within their power to try and get the best result that they can. And it just doesn't fall the way that, that, that they would want. You know, the, the amount of times we see safety cars fall against drivers that have been putting everything, uh, everything into the race. And, and this was just another example where actually Bottas didn't want to be leading at that point. Um, and paid the price for it. So it's just another one of those races, a bit a bit like Mugello, where he had done everything he possibly could, got the results that he was meant to get, but in the end, it, it was actually that that thwarted him. So it was just another one where just luck was just not on his side. Certainly was. And it's interesting, there, there was a question raised in the press conference sort of suggesting was Bottas annoyed that Mercedes extended Hamilton's stint when obviously a week ago in Portugal he'd asked to go onto the soft tyres and was denied that. And he said, well, two completely different situations. And actually it had been explained beforehand to the two Mercedes drivers that if one of them were to get stuck behind a Red Bull or out of position or not running one two essentially, then they knew that something would be done to try and get them back ahead. So I don't think he had any problem with that. Um, Codders, do we think Lewis Hamilton would have won even without the VSC effectively handing him not a free pit stop, but a, you know a much much uh, much easier pit stop, um, because uh, Mercedes had radioed Bottas and told him you are one second unsafe to to Lewis. So it sounded as if whatever happened, Hamilton uh, was going to stop and come out in the lead. But do you think that was backed up on what what you saw on track? Yeah, it was pretty borderline. I, my uh, my notes are compromised by the fact that, as you can see, the listeners can't see. I actually came to the end of my notebook during the course of this Grand Prix, so I've had to double stint it slightly. And and it, it was a lot more eventful race than, than I expected it to be. Uh, and at that, that phase of the race, there was an awful lot of stuff going on in terms of, you know, Magnussen holding up the various people who were hoping to get past him and... It was it was all very inopportune and it fell into the lap of Lewis, but he was doing the work that was necessary. I don't think it's 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 quite tricky to say whether he actually would have come out ahead of Valtteri had that VSC not happened. He was certainly putting the work in and they were doing everything they could to ensure that it worked for him. But on the other hand... As, as I said to Toto in, in his press conference, during the weird interregnum where he had to have a costume change, as John will remember, because John was part of that press conference. So it was very took bizarre. His, took a shirt off for you, Codders. Yes, it was weird. He said, I hope you like to see the athletic body. And I said, well, you know, Toto, we are, you know, we're, we're both similar ages and I think we, we're both quite active men. I, I observe that you have fewer grey hairs than me. You obviously have a less stressful job, but... Um, the he he said that they had they had pitted Valtteri to cover um, the Verstappen pit stop, which was fair enough. But to my mind, the the undercut was never going to work with this Grand Prix because of the traffic, because it's a it's a circuit on which it's difficult to overtake. So he he managed to slightly because of the the the, the format of us doing these press conferences by zoom he got away without answering the real question which was um was it actually a great idea to pit valtteri at that point given the fact that the undercut was not powerful at this circuit so why were you why did you even bother 
covering Verstappen. You know, they Mercedes have two quick cars, and at the best of times, at the moment, Red Bull have one. They only have one fast driver in play. Albon was miles away, so I I don't really see the reason that Mercedes are dancing to a tune set by Red Bull. In effect, Red Bull triggered that pit stop and and forced the the race leader to to give away an advantage. But the race leader was hobbled because Mercedes knew he was he had less downforce mm. and couldn't run at the pace. So Did Red Bull felt- know that though? Well, I'm not, not sure Red Bull knew that, but Red Bull had to yeah. pull the trigger because they had no choice because they were they were trapped in the middle of two Mercedes. So whichever one, so they needed to try to try to move ahead, and the only way to try that was to do the undercut. And I think Mercedes had no choice but to respond because Valtteri was hobbled. Obviously, wasn't wasn't running at the pace uh, he could run at, and I think Mercedes knew that if Valtteri, if Max had free air, he would pretty quickly uh, overhaul him. So I think. Ultimately, Merck didn't have a choice. They had to had to cover. I kind of felt that, but at the same time, in that early phase of the race, Lewis was moaning on the radio, which sometimes he does, and he's sort of covering the fact that he's got a bit of an advantage going on under his hat. But he was saying, oh, it's so difficult to pass here. So I, I was actually wondering how strong Lewis was at that position. I think at that time he sort of backed off and was just waiting to see what would happen because he knew, as as I said, it had been explained to him that they would try something different and that he, he would get his chance, uh, which he which he certainly took. Um, John, what what have we got a cause on what happened to Verstappen? Uh, he sort of said on the radio something broke. It looked like a sort of sudden puncture. That's what Red Bull have sort of communicated. But has there been anything definitive for Pirelli? And just for your answer, very uh, instantly, apparently it's uh, three times Formula One has raced in Italy in 2020 and three DNFs for Verstappen in each race. Uh, no definitive answer yet. Christian Horner said tonight they suspect it was debris at, at some point um, and it was a sudden deflation. He said Max was, was on the team radio at the time, so everything was under control. It obviously got past the slow Bottas. Um, Lewis was too far ahead, about 12 seconds up the road, so it wasn't really going to close that gap down. So he wasn't pushing or doing anything out of the ordinary. Um, so a bit of debris. I mean, we we saw on lap one there, Stroll's, you know, section of Stroll's front wing was by the side of the track for four or five laps was quite incredible them leaving this piece of debris there and then we obviously we saw at uh, lap two when Valtteri ran over you know debris on uh, Toza so I don't think the marshals were too hot at um, being too cautious about debris today Indeed. Well, as as you say, John, um, it was Verstappen running uh, behind Hamilton at that stage. They sort of were matching each other for pace, but Verstappen wasn't closing in. And it looked at, um, without that incident as if it would have run fairly stable to the flag. And after that flag, there was a, a great big celebration because, as I said, Mercedes uh, celebrating the Constructors' Championship. Um, Jess, seven years in a row. I think that's they've overhauled Ferrari now in terms of the six in a row from 99 to 2004. How good is this title triumph? Do you think it's it's better than the ones that have come before? I mean, it's a record breaker, isn't it? So I guess in in that in that sense, it's it's always going to be one that that goes down in the history books. The fact that it's seven consecutive titles just goes to show how dominant Mercedes have been in this turbo hybrid era. Um, pretty much, bar maybe a couple of seasons, not, probably not even that, been challenged at all. Um, and I know that people get bored of dominance and they get bored of, of of the same teams and the same drivers winning week in, week out. But you just have to give it to Mercedes for having been able to do their job, which is produce 
the most competitive Formula One car uh, and act as a package. And I think the a lot of the press conference after the race with the top three, I felt a bit sorry for Danny Rick because he got basically no questions asked his way um, at all. Uh, I think he actually said at the end, didn't he? Thanks for having me. Because uh, he just sat there rather quietly while everyone was obviously uh, focused on uh, Mercedes. And, and then Renault cancelled his press conference because they said, hey, he's done the podium press conference, so you don't need to speak to him. And we were all going, well, actually, no, he didn't get a word in. Well, I, I can I can let you in on, on a secret that perhaps the FIA would rather they we, we kept quiet. I was basically um, on the you know on these Zoom calls, as everyone will know from using Zoom in lockdown in 2020, you have to raise your hand if you want to say something. And I'd got my first question in uh, to Lewis, asked him about his start, and there was a bit under the safety car where Peter Bonington was was warning him about the Delta, and he said, "Oh, they've just been overcautious, not not really a fuss." But yeah, I basically I was next in line to ask a second question. Uh, and I messaged the FIA's uh, uh, media delegate saying, I've got a question for Ricardo. I wanted to know about the hard tyres at the end of the race and, you know, how difficult Renault said in, in their press release that the key was basically work with his engineers to keep the tyres warm throughout the safety car period. So I was seconds away from being able to make it worth Ricardo's time for having to sit there the entire time. But uh, as you say, just lots, lots of comments in that press conference. It really ran on long and nearly put us under pressure when it came to having to make our dash to Florence Airport, not the nearest airport to Imola, admittedly, but it made it very easier coming into London City Airport, although the uh, the landing was a bit bumpy in the, in the wind that's uh, all around London today. I put my foot down. It was fine. Um, but yes, um, lo- lots of comments, um, interesting ones, uh, potentially about the future of the Mercedes team, Lewis Hamilton saying there's no guarantees that he'll be on the grid next year. John, what do you think that's all about? Because, I mean, there's no other seats in Formula, you know, at the top teams. But what, what does he mean? What, what could that possibly be a, be a hint at? Uh, I think it's one of those where um, I sense a weekend where Mercedes have been quite reflective and emotional. Um, you know, Toto's been you know, talk about his reflect on his future and what he's going to do and the transition, um, where things go. He doesn't want to become, um, you know, he wants a team principal in the future who is strong and he senses he's got his shelf life and his shelf life at some point is going to come to an end. So he wants to find someone who can take over. So there's been a lot of reflection from Toto this weekend. Uh, and I think Lewis has been caught up in all this as well. I think I think this seventh championship means so much to the, the team because it makes them the you know, the most successful team ever. So I sense it's a bit of reflection on that, a bit of reflection on kind of lockdowns and coronavirus and where we've come to. Um, and also you've got to remember that Lewis and Mercedes are about to enter negotiations. I mean, I think they've pretty much agreed that they will do a deal, but they haven't done the deal yet. And until you sign a contract, in effect, there is no guarantee. So I don't think there's anything in it. I think it's classic driver. Just Let's just throw a little bit of uncertainty and questions out there because... Um, doesn't do negotiations any harm um, and equally is being realistic. There is no guarantee that he can, will be there next year. There's no guarantee Formula 1 could happen next year. We, you know, we wouldn't have expected a season like this 12 months ago. So um, I think it's more a realistic appraisal of what the reality of the situation is than a, I'm about to quit Formula 1. Yes, I think you're right there. Codders, what was Toto Wolff saying uh, once he'd put his clothes back on in his uh, press conference? What was that? What, what was his suggestion about his future? Because as, as John said, uh, quite reflective, talking about, you know, appointing successors. What what, what, was the gest- what were the suggestions coming out of Wolff uh, this afternoon? I, I got the impression that obviously as a co-owner, you know, he's a shareholder in, in the business. He's not looking to step away, but what he actually wants to do 
is to slightly step back from the day-to-day operations and to maybe even, you know, he alluded to sort of perhaps taking on a sort of Nicky Lauder-style role, like not not the Nicky Lauder chucking a grenade under the door and saying something he shouldn't to the press just to cause a bit of trouble, but just being that sort of voice that, that says what he thinks, either from the sofa or from the, the, the track side, to sort of give advice to a, a, a new team principal, which is sort of interesting. And, and there has been there has been talk that Toto's looking to sort of move further upstairs and have less of a hands-on role. And, and you have to say that among the team principals, when you speak to Toto after a race, he is pretty much across every detail. So you can you can ask him a question about the big picture. You can ask him, you know, as, as I did, you know, before he started taking his clothes off and his press attaché was, you know, I don't know, toweling him down out of view. I don't know. Whatever one does as the chief press attaché of Mercedes-Benz uh, to, to earn your coin. Um, you know, he, he, was, he was saying that... That, that's what he's looking to do. He's, he's sort of looking to step aside and, and, and be less hands-on. But my my question, which, you know, one had to wait for five minutes while toweling down occurred, was about race strategy and trying to get a sensible answer out of him about Bottas's pit stop timing. And, and although he was slightly evasive, he was across the detail, which some team principals aren't. You know, sometimes you'll ask a team principal a question and they'll fob you off and you get the impression they don't really know what they're talking about. And Toto really, really is across all the team operations. And I think that's why he's a quality operator. And as a co-shareholder, he wants someone who's that quality and operator to step into his shoes. Absolutely. Well, that's the that's the fight for the win wrapped up. Uh, like I said, Daniel Ricciardo took his second third place in three races for Renault, but really it shouldn't have gone to him. It should have gone to Sergio Perez at Racing Point because Ricciardo, although he drove very well today, um, hamstrung by starting on the soft tyres, which were just just not the tyre to be on. In fact, a lot of cars pitting a lot earlier. Pirelli predicting that maybe they get to lap twenty five before they need to come in. Um, but things uh, things not going not going very well. They'd encountered quite a lot of graining. Many many teams. Mercedes even saying they wish they hadn't tried it so much in practice. It was so bad that soft tyre. So not a lot Ricardo could do. He just had to be at the the head of the train, which he was. But racing point sacrifice the track position i think they just assumed that having fresh tires would 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 work against those guys on the hards and um, that have been on them for so long but yeah jess what an own goal from racing point really after a, an excellent drive it must be said from sergio perez yeah another strong drive from a driver who's looking like he's not going to have a place on the grid next year um which is maybe telling of another driver we might pick up on a little later on as well but um yeah i think i can't i was thinking about it and you know i'm not a race strategist i will be the first person to admit that but um i i couldn't help tell was it out of fear that other other drivers were going to pit under the safety car and it just it just didn't happen and they just mistimed it but it's another one of those things i guess about the nature of imola is that you know and we would say track position is king so the reason that they decided to pit perez is a bit of a question mark um but yeah a total shame after a really really strong drive and i think you know perez himself afterwards was clearly very upset that 
they'd essentially gifted the podium to Ricardo. And I think Ricardo has come out afterwards saying that he was smiling um, once he realised that Perez had pitted. Um, such was the, such was the. Uh, I mean, he might as well have just put a bow on it, really, and said, here you go, here's that third place trophy. Off, off you go. Thanks very much. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it was a bit of an odd one, but it's one of those things, you know, hindsight, it didn't work out but at the time the guys on the pit wall and the girls on the pit wall are looking and going well if if we get absolutely blindsided by anyone coming up behind us on some fresh tire then then we'll be ruining the day as well it's kind of one of those things where you know if it works you're an absolute hero and if it doesn't you're a zero and again that's just the nature of formula one the while all this was going on i was having some whatsapp conversation with with my boss uh to, you know the the internet's Ben Anderson, uh, GP racing. The editor. internet's Ben Anderson. Uh, ben Anderson. Surely it's print media's Ben Anderson. Given print that. media's Ben Anderson. Yeah, he's no longer the internet's Ben Anderson. Uh, and uh, driver of the Lotus Forty Nine. You know the the ex Ben Anderson Lotus Forty Nine we've seen on Sky Sports. But um, we we were sort of wondering whether the Racing Point um, struggles to get heat into its tyres. Because if you think back to Monza, and obviously you know it was Lance Stroll who. Um, dropped the ball massively there from a hugely advantageous position and we all laughed at him at the point at the time and thought you know Lance you really could have done better but maybe that car just really is quite bad on hard compound tires or harder compound tires that are cold and it struggles to get heat into them and and they decided oh well you know maybe the lesser of two evils is to put him on the the soft tires and see what he can do but as it panned out in those final few laps, Kvyat did the job better. And over those two or three or four laps where the, the hard tyres came back up to temperature again, you had a really narrow window of opportunity to make those overtakes and, and Kvyat did it better than Perez. Who knows? The other, other thing to remember is Perez was at the, the head of the queue. So you're always the, the danger of you not changing tyres is that everyone else behind you does change tyres and you're exposed. So you're, you're kind of, you've got to roll the dice. You show your hand first. And then the others behind can can counter. So, uh, and Kvyat nearly made it pay off. I mean, Kvyat came from behind Perez to f- nearly finish on the podium if Daniel hadn't held him off. So I don't think it was don't think it was totally the wrong decision. It wasn't complete lunacy, but uh, you know, with with the benefit of hindsight and seeing how those hards held off in the end, it should have stayed out. And I think the team the team even accept that now. It's, it's like Jess says, you know, you, you look back at these things in hindsight and you're always wise after the fact and you say, well, why didn't you do this? But actually, you know, you make a decision at the time based on, on the, the facts ahead of you and, and maybe the, the decision they made was the best at the time based on what they had at their fingertips. Well, it, it wasn't like they were just going to go, ah, don't fancy that podium. I think we'll throw it away, really, was it? There's obviously a method there or, you know, some form of data and strategy and I think, I think as Colin says, it's it was that fear of I don't I don't want to be I don't want to be caught out by this. So we've got to make a decision, got to pull the trigger, got to go. So just one of those things. It just it just didn't go their way this time. Yeah, sometimes sometimes it would have paid off handsomely. But I think Otmar Zafnauer did say it was indeed they were just too concerned about getting the hard tires uh, warmed up. That, and that, that, that's that's what led to that decision. Um, but yeah, as 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 John has said, uh, Daniel Kvyat did make stop. 
did make some positions. Jess, what did you think about his? He, it was a it was a rocketing overtake on Charles Leclerc. I'll be honest. Uh, when I was doing came to doing the Autosport.com race report, I I didn't really see what happened at the restart. I was sort of concentrating on making notes and seeing what was going on. And suddenly, Kvyat was ahead of Perez, and he just he just absolutely aced it. I'm not sure what everyone else thinks, but for me, it was a bit of a it was a bit of a drive of two halves from Kvyat. At the beginning, I thought he was touching on the over aggressive. He was he was very bolshy in his in his moves, and um, there was you know a, a small coming together between him and Albon at one point. I mean, quite a poignant battle of drivers. Uh, if we're if we're talking about next year's driver market, again, two drivers that potentially out of a seat for next year. Um, Helmut Marco definitely seemed to say that regardless of Kvyat's performance today, which was a really strong performance uh, in that in that second half, he had some absolutely outstanding moves absolutely outstanding and and just looked so strong um you know there was, a, there was a point where he looked like he was he was going to hunt them all down for p3 at least um it just it kind of just didn't come to him in the end which was maybe unfortunate but and it would have been a, made a great narrative wouldn't it if helmet marco had said you know he's absolutely out of it and he would have uh Kvyat would have got his uh, a podium it would have been a, a great a great write a great drama for the season but yeah it it, it it's kind of too little too late it's one of those it's just one of those drives where if he if he could have shown this a little earlier on because obviously Gasly has been uh, widely labeled as the driver of the season um I know that in uh, your autosport driver rankings Alex he's he's come out pretty handsomely on a number of occasions and obviously has got a win in the bag um so it's just it, it, it was it was a really good showing from Kvyat today but just just not enough really at this point in the season yeah, Gasly was leading the averages of the driver ratings after that Monza win, but then he was so uh, made such a big error at Mugello, he cost himself uh, quite a bit of ground. But I think I think he's still third, or he certainly was coming into this weekend in the averages. Um, but yeah, yeah, Jess, as you say, a great um, a great race at the end there from Kvyat. But it was he sort of rescued the result for for Alpha Tauri, which had looked really really strong in practice. Both cars, but particularly Gasly on the medium tire, were, were quicker than the Mercedes cars, so they really really had pace. And then Gasly puts it P four on the grid, but it was the grid where it all went wrong. Um, John, what happened to Gasly ahead of the start, and then what cost him early on when he retired in the race? Um, the retirement. Well, I think the the getting away at the start was the pro- problem. Was he'd got dragged alongside Lewis, um, and I think Lewis um, pulled to the right because um, coming under pressure from Daniel. And I mean, G- Gasly. It's just where the camera um, actually changed um, position, and you thought, "Oh, Hamilton's going towards Gasly here," and this track isn't very wide, and you expected the next camera angle to be a bunch of cars and debris and carbon fiber everywhere. But Gasly backed out of it. Um, and kind of lost that momentum, lost the lost the advantage, um, and it wasn't it wasn't an easy track for overtaking. Uh, and then there was a weld. Um, I think Franz Tosses means a weld failure on the radiator. So they'd had a um, fault in the radiator. They thought they fixed it. The weld failed. Uh, water pressure was going down, so it was leaking, and they had to retire. So really, really um, disappointed of him because I'd like to have seen what he what he could have done if that race had rolled on. I, I, I admire his cat-like reflexes, actually, because when Lewis sort of moved over on him and the the track narrowed, you only see it from the onboard that literally he lifted off um, with with fractions of a second to spare. And, and of course, with, with, 
with the amount of downforce a Formula One car makes, when when you lift off the throttle in a Formula One car, it's the equivalent of uh, being in a very high performance road car and standing on the brakes hard enough to to lock the front wheels. So for for him to sort of lose that momentum was actually really critical for him coming into the Tamburello in that uh, that first um, on that first lap. So that that really killed his race for him. Well, before the uh, the world failure did, but um, yeah, he did. His reactions were incredible at that point because Lewis just drifted over at a critical point. He certainly did. It was rather reminiscent of a few, uh, not near misses, but you know, a few uh, outrageous manoeuvres I saw on the motorway into Florence this evening. But not from me. I should hasten. Well, to, you hasten know, you were, you were in Italy, weren't you? <laughs> Certainly was. Well, I thought we'd uh, we'd come on and cover some of the more positives in the race before going on to a couple of the pretty big negatives that for some drivers in this race. Uh, Charles Leclerc, another strong drive for Ferrari. He wasn't quite absolutely nailed it in qualifying. I think he said he cost himself about a tenth of a second and that really could have put him up there with, uh, with Pierre Gasly. But yeah, John, what did you make of uh, Leclerc today, particularly in relation, I guess, over the weekend uh, to Sebastian Vettel, who finished outside the points? Yeah, another great... Great drive from Charles. And I think also is good news for Ferrari because they've had this um, characteristic recently where Charles would do a brilliant job on the Saturday in qualifying, um, like at the Nürburgring. Um, and it wasn't so much in Portugal, but the, the pace would be there on Saturday and Sunday it would fall apart and he'd rock down the order and it would all be a bit of a, a big headache at Maranello afterwards. But Portimao was better. Um, there seems to be a, being a bit of consistency there. Uh, and again today, that car looks looked much better. Um, he was one of the drivers that elected to stay out on the Haas. I mean, Mattia Bonotto said tonight there was a big discussion between the pit wall and Charles about what to do, and it was Charles's decision to say, "No, let's do it. Let's go for it and see what we we can do." So um, he probably wasn't expecting Kvyat to overtake around the outside up at the top of the hill, um, but I think that was Kvyat was total win or bust move from him because if they had tagged there, it would have been a bit of a mess. Um, yeah, more points for him and more disappointment for Sebastian. I think Sebastian could have finished in the points today, um, but he had a very lengthy pit stop where the front right had a wheel nut cross thread problem, um, which dropped him away. So, but I think it's just another weekend where, you know, I think these Ferrari updates have nudged the car towards Charles Leclerc and are benefiting his driving style and what he can and can't drive around. And Vettel's just never been comfortable with his car since the start of the season, really. No, he sort of alluded to that after the race saying, you know, that it's, it's it's really in qualifying where it's almost exacerbated. He just cannot get a feel for the car. And he just senses a bit like Bottas. It's, you know, when when you think about the the, the pit stop going wrong, it, it's, it's like it's a stream of things with Vettel this year, which is going wrong one after another and another. Um, but there was, as I said, uh, more good news uh, for this uh, for this time for an end. <clears throat> There's more good news for a different Italian team, sort of. It's really Swiss, uh, Alfa Romeo, um, with Sauber. But uh, its first double points finish of the season with Giovinazzi um, finishing 10th, Kimi Raikkonen 9th. But actually, Kimi Raikkonen was was quite unlucky in terms of the timing of the safety car because he'd stayed out so long at the start of the race, running really, really long on his medium tyres, and he pitted just before Verstappen's off. But nevertheless, Codders, what did you make of uh, Raikkonen today and, and yeah, Alfa Romeo overall? I thought there was a very typical Alfa Romeo strategy at the moment where they put their drivers on very, very different strategies and and see what pans out. And, and actually, they ended up very close to one another. So uh, Joe Venazzi, as the Sky commentators insist on calling him, uh, as if he's some sort of comedian, um, 
the strategy he was on starting on the soft tyres of he he had to make ground in the opening laps which to be fair is one of his strongest suits and he did that uh, and then he had made an early pit stop and that consigned him to a very long stint on the harder rubber and uh, which was which was difficult so he was in for a long slog and and basically that they they put both of their drivers in for quite a challenging race so Antonio Giovinazzi had to make ground at the beginning and then stop early and then make the best of his hard tyres and, and conserve them throughout. And then, of course, Kimi, as you say, had to stay out until lap 385 uh, on the medium tyres and, and make them last. And he duly did. And and as you say, it, it was only the timing of the safety car, etc., that, that sort of screwed them over. They might even have, have, have got a little bit more. There was a point in that race where there was that whole gaggle of people who'd started on the mediums, who had even including Nicholas Latifi, um, who who looked like they were in for top ten finishes, and then uh, obviously the, the the way the race panned out, it didn't quite happen for all of them. But um, no, it it was quite interesting how the alternate strategies played out today. Certainly was. We're going to come to Latifi uh, later on because I think this is a very strong weekend for for him overall. John, we were in a, a session with Dave Robson, the head of uh, vehicle performance at Williams, suggesting that you know Latifi was could have made Q two if things had gone gone his way in terms of being practiced for that break by wire problem and 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 things in the race. But let's let's come to the other Williams driver first, George Russell devastating crash really uh, behind the safety car he was he was following immediately behind the safety car as he comes into the first part of the aqua mini rally turns just trying to get a bit of heat in his tires steps on the gas and it's it's straight into the wall it's a really embarrassing and and bad mistake on what had been an absolutely brilliant weekend he's out of q1 again he's ahead of a ferrari on merit He's dro- he drove really, really well in the race. I, I, I sent a message on uh, on Microsoft Teams, our delightful instant messaging uh, chat that I have with uh, Luke Smith in the in the media centre, and I said, if any one of the top ten runners, another one, because obviously Ocon and Gasly already out of the race, fall out, Russell's in the points here. Okay, Raikkonen was on fresh tyres, may well have got him before the end. You never know, but this could have been his chance. But Jess, I mean, how bad is this for Russell? Uh, yeah. It was, it's one of those things where you're just like, why did this happen? Like, why did you, why did it happen? But he said that it was just because he was so focused, so laser focused on trying to bring home the points. Um, he's got, he's got uh, that, one of those nasty F1 stats hanging over his head where uh, he hasn't brought home any points yet. Um, but he's got stats like he's outperformed and outqualified his, his teammate. What was it now? Thirty-three to nil now, something like that. More maybe, um, and and it's but it's that pesky points, you know. And points qualifying stats are great, but points are where it's at, and points are what bring home your team that hard-earned cash at the end of the end of the season, um, and that's what they're that's what they're looking for. It, it's probably going to be one of those moments where he reflects a lot. Most likely. I mean, it was another one of those uh, brilliant moments of television where we saw him sat at the side. I think John was saying on our Instagram live tonight, it was very uh, Mika Hakkinen-esque um, at the side, you know, head in hands, telling the marshals to leave him alone. He was shaking his head and it's, you know, one of those heartbreaking moments. But, you know, it's it's a mistake. Right. And yes, OK, it's probably a costly one, but it's is it going to define his career? Probably not. Uh, is he going to move on from it? And as every great driver says, whenever they've made a, made a mistake, come back stronger next time. Um, 
most likely. Um, so, but my, the interesting the interesting thing that I found was was the was the fan response to that mistake, in that everybody was so quick to make Grosjean into a meme when he did a very similar incident around Baku. Um, and and can we just clear up that it wasn't him? It wasn't Grosjean that said, did Ericsson hit me? Uh, or it was Ericsson's fault. It was his engineer that um, was like, you can't have done this on your own. You must have got, you must have been hit from behind. Like this can't, you can't have done this you, you're behind a safety car. Um, but you know, Grosjean quickly became a meme. It was something that followed him around. Uh, and then, you know, Russell has a has a potentially similar similar incident happened, similar mistake made, and everybody's heart is broken. And, you know, they're all running to him on Instagram and saying, don't worry, George, don't worry, like you're going to come back from this. Where was Grosjean's messages from Hamilton? Although poignantly, Grosjean was one of the drivers that messaged uh, on Instagram to, to George and said, you know, this stuff happens. You'll feel like an absolute idiot tonight, but come tomorrow, you'll forget it unless the internet makes you into a meme. And uh, and you'll and you'll be you'll be okay. You'll you'll come back. So I think it, it, he's go, he's going to be ruining the day because today were, there there were definite points, if if not one potentially more points for him, um, which would have been a great result for both him and Williams. But it wasn't to be. He made the mistake, and he's just going to have to learn to next time maybe not let the pressure get to him so much. Absolutely. And I think, you know, a painful, a painful end to the race for Williams as well, because, you know, it would have been great for for that team to have scored some points finally. But John, what do you think Mercedes might have made of that Russell crash? Because obviously, you know, there's speculation about whether he will one day end up there as a replacement for Lewis Hamilton or or Bottas in the future on the on a day when the team is uh, very happy celebrating its seventh Constructors' Championship. Its junior driver has an embarrassing off, a painful off to watch. And his reaction, as you say, Jess, it was very, very reminiscent of Mika Hakkinen at Monster. But yeah, what what might Mercedes think of that incident? Uh, Toto Wolff's always mantra is always it's not the days that um, you win that really count and matter in Formula One. It's the days you fail and flop and learn learn from your mistakes and become stronger afterwards. Uh, and I think they'll put this down to as part of the the learning experience. This is why George Russell, you know, is learning his craft in the Williams. It's to iron out these issues. It's to iron out. The problems is to make yourself a stronger driver, a better driver. Um, that's why you don't put a driver like George Russell in a, a a team like Mercedes for his rookie season or even his second season. It takes you time to learn these things. Um, we've saw we've seen Lewis Hamilton make you know gaffes in Formula One. Remember he ran into the back of Kimi Raikkonen when the red light in the pit lane in Canada. Um, his second David season. Coulthard, that was yeah. David David yeah, in Coulthard. his championship year. David Coulthard famously, you know, spinning off on formation laps or crashing into the pit wall. Um, these things happen. It's part of the part of the experience and process you go through. And however much it will hurt George tonight, and you know, I think he'll, you know, there was, you know, points were up for grabs today. He'll wake up tomorrow, uh, start a, a fresh chapter, a new chapter, move forward, and he won't make the same mistake again. Um, I think it's part of the thing that will actually he'll look back on in two, three years time and realise today was actually probably a better day for him. The, the learning experience he's taken from it than if he had finished in 10th. 
Indeed, it's interesting you mentioned, John, about, you know, Mercedes always repeating how you learn from your bad days and it's, and it's what you show next that's really key because all that speculation about Russell's position at Williams in Portugal, he produced a fantastic performance in qualifying in the race afterwards and then looked to be carrying on on that form. Um, Codders, let's come to another driver who had, well, I mean, this driver had a terrible weekend overall, Lance Stroll at Racing Point, out in Q2, well at the back, tags Esteban Ocon, breaks his front wing, ru- ruins his race and then seems to misunderstand that his, his brakes might be a bit cold running out of the safety car and knocks one of his mechanics over. Fortunately, uh, the mechanic is okay at Racing Point. But yeah, how bad was Stroll's weekend? Well, I can only speculate what you might be scoring him at in your driver ratings. Um, once again, I'm thinking a three or four. Correct. It's not going to be as mm. bad as Portugal, but it is still bad. It wasn't great, was it? And... um in in amelioration in, in mitigating circumstances and um, they did struggle uh with the shorter weekend Otmar Saf now did say um you know for for whatever reason you know they needed more time uh, to understand the car or to to dial it in or whatever so both drivers underperformed in qualifying but Lance yeah, as you say clumsy knock on the first lap lost part of his front wing He's then on the back foot. He then seemingly tries a little bit too hard. And then just in that final pit stop, then he mows down his own pit crew. It's a basic error. I know Michael Schumacher did uh, a similar error once, but it was once in the course of a glittering career. And at the moment, I I think we we aren't committing any defamatory offences by saying it is not a diff- it is not a glorious and glittering career that Lance Stroll is essaying at the moment. And, you know, he apologised, brakes were cold, you know, quite frankly, in his possession, profession, he should know that. And once again, very disappointed um, in, in his performance. He ought to know better. And when you have one driver who's in contention for a podium and another driver who is prattling around at the very back of the field because of their own mistakes, I think that tells its own story. Also, what wasn't caught on TV, um, there's some onboard footage of Stroll that I've, I've seen on the, the internet tonight because there were some marshals on track at the end of the safety car period and I think Stroll and Vettel, you know, come come zooming down the hill um, still with marshals on the track. But earlier on the lap, um, as he's coming to unlap himself, uh, he nearly collides with Ricardo as he's unlapping him as Ricardo's warming his tyres up, runs off the track. Um, so could have very nearly binned it for himself and binned it for Daniel there as well. So... For some, some reason, that Lance had a really strong start to this season that everyone expected Perez to would completely dominate him. Um, but actually, it was the other way around, that Stroll was the, <clears throat> the stronger racing point driver in the first phase of the season, was delivering well in qualifying. Um, and then ever since, maybe these upgrades have come on, this, the, the step that racing points made, it's, it's just been terrible. I think there was a stat saying in five races, Perez has scored 48 points and Stroll's called, scored zero. Mm. Um, remarkable. So yeah. some something, something's happened. I think Andy Green mentioned that maybe the Mugello accident has taken something out of him potentially, or is there a long COVID effect? You know, was he has he been ill? Is there something slightly out of kilter there? So it's strange. It's gone so bad, basically. Has his peripheral vision gone as long as as well as his sense of taste and smell? Well, let's move on to another driver endured misery. 
today and in, and in qualifying yesterday really with Alex Albon because he's he's still not able to put it in fourth place um, behind Max Verstappen for Red Bull. Um, spins away, ends up at the very back of the pack after you know he was he was he was battling with Perez at that restart. Obviously he'd been he'd been left out following uh, following Ricardo and Leclerc on the hard tyres, but he sort of seemed to be hinting that there might have been a little tap in the spin. It certainly didn't look that that way from from the tv pictures but jess what what did you what did you think of that spin for albon and as you said earlier you know it comes at a time where he's he's really under pressure for not just his his seat his formula one future potentially yeah it was everything that he needed to not do he did <laughs> um maybe bar take out his teammate or an alpha Tauri. um but yeah i mean it's like we've said before he really he had to be up there especially on a track like this where track positions everything red bull need him up there to support max or as as we saw today if, if max had a, a technical failure or a mechanical failure or a tire blowout as we saw today to be there to at least bring some points home for the for the team but it was just again it's just there aren't that many more excuses i don't think any that people can make in order to say that Alex is deserving I think it's a bit it's a bit like John said about you know George is in the right team to be making these mistakes because it's not going to hurt his career too much it's it's a case of well you can do it in a Williams it's not gonna hurt you but to do it in a top team when your teammate is is Max Verstappen you're not going to recover um, and I really don't see how he's going to recover from this. Um, I think that there's been there's been signs that we were we were kind of thinking that maybe this was going to be the weekend, whereas his fate was sealed. Um, but it sounds like potentially they're going to wait out a little bit longer uh, to make that decision. But I don't. I, I there's more. I keep dying because it genuinely hurts me to talk about it because I do think in a way that Alex's fate was sealed last season when he got the call up to go to Red Bull we'd seen how the team had absolutely chewed up and spat out Pierre Gasly who is now as we've we've already touched on a contender for driver of the season this year how the tables turn um and Alex is is and unlike with Gasly Alex potentially doesn't have the sister team to fall back down to and to build up again, uh, not only just his confidence, but but a direction for his career. And I think that's, it, it's terribly sad because it's not like Alex is a bad driver. He's not a bad driver. He's just in machinery that doesn't suit him and very much suits his teammate, who is the number one driver at Red Bull, um, whether or not Red Bull decide to say that publicly or not, it's, it's quite clear that, that he is. And, and he doesn't have a chance, really. So it's a case of, you know, should he be doing better? Yes. But is it really, is it a fair summation of, of actually what his skills are as a driver? Well, as we saw with Gasly, no. Um, so it's it's really sad, to be honest. I'm, I'm quite, it's what it is going to be one of the heartbreaks of the, of the season. Um, and because he's not had an easy career out of it at all. I mean, being in that Red Bull program has not been an easy ride for Alex Albon uh, and for it to come to a conclusion as it looks likely to with him being out of a seat altogether I think is just is just such a tragedy to be honest. 
Yeah, I'd agree with that, Jess. I got to know Alex a little bit when I covered uh, his first year in F2 in 2017 after I joined Autosport the year that Leclerc won. And he, he was, you know, really nice guy, really, really quick. Obviously done very well in GP3, already even kicked off, been kicked off the Red Bull program by, at one stage by that point. But, you know, he broke his collarbone, came back a few races later with it still, you know, in bits in his shoulder, having been pinned back together and, and performed really, really well at the Red Bull ring when he came back. So he's obviously a tough character, can do it very quick. It's just not coming together. But, John, what is the latest coming out of Red Bull, were there any hints uh, after the race? I believe Christian Horner's media, uh, written media session was cancelled frustratingly, but he did talk to the TV cameras. But yeah, what were what were what was coming out of Red Bull tonight? Yeah, no, annoyingly, because Christian Horner's Sunday night session doesn't happen all the time, and normally doesn't happen if they have a, a poor weekend. So it's a, a lot for Christian to talk about tonight. Obviously, the would have been good to talk about Albon and the Verstappen, and whether that that Red Bull had would have had the pace to win today and what the latest on the engine situation now that Ferrari and Renault are going to block the, the freeze plan so but unfortunately uh, it was cancelled so we didn't get a chance to throw any questions to him the TV interviews I heard he wasn't pushed particularly on Albon he just said he'd had a I think a, a disappointing weekend and they'd work with him and try to build him up for Turkey but um, I think Red Bull's problem is that um, while they're not expecting Alex to beat Max and there's no expectation of, on him to you know, be up there and doing what Daniel Ricciardo was doing and fighting for the wins. What they do need is that Max needs a rear gunner because today Max being trapped between those two Mercedes, he was out of options because if Alex had been behind Lewis, then they would know that they, you know, Lewis wouldn't have been able to afford to pit stop. So they wouldn't have to cover from behind. So it just closes down Red Bull's options. And if, you know, there's some momentum getting behind that Red Bull team now in terms of its pace and potential, um, Honda making a you know all new engine for next season. Um, they've got a big push into twenty one for next season. Red Bull cannot afford not to have that second car up there, backing up Max and or uh, you know challenging Max or at very worst backing up Max and giving Max a protected position in races to fight against the two Mercedes. So I think in the end, um, Alex is either going to need to do something very dramatic in the next race in Turkey or in Bahrain uh, or Red Bull are going to have to get, go calling and probably um, I'd say for Perez simply because he's got the year, year of experience um, raced all season um, has the record of having finished on the podium which Hulkenberg hasn't had um, and just keeps delivering and is delivering in on top form at the moment It is quite frustrating isn't it John that um, you know the 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 Christian Horner post-race press conferences don't always happen. And if they do, you, you tend to have to sit and wait by your email because you get the notification with two minutes uh, warning that it, it's going to happen. And, and yet, as with this weekend, um, Sky Sports F1 have him and he sings like a canary at times to them. And, and, and during one of those interludes, he did actually uh, allude to the fact that Max was out on his own and they needed that that rear gunner operating for them and and pretty much every race now this season has been a little bit like um hungary 2019 where they they really are missing that second car to give them strategic options and and we've seen uh, you know as i alluded to earlier with 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 bottas when they they pitted valtteri in effect to cover the verstappen pit stop red bull now know that they can press a button and Mercedes may be dominant, but they're not so arrogant that they think that they can get away with everything. 
all all Red Bull have to do is is press that little button and Mercedes will respond. And if they had two drivers up there um, in a position to press, then they would have a lot more strategic options because if if Albon had been right behind Verstappen or right behind Hamilton at that point where the, where they pressed that button and 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 brought Max into pit, then you know who knows what would have happened because Mercedes would definitely have responded as they do and 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 all bets would have been off and I think what Red Bull really do need now is to have two drivers who can handle the rear end instability that, that car brings and when they do they really will be able to press Mercedes because as we've seen in previous seasons push hard enough and, and Mercedes will deviate from route one at, at, at the moment their strategy is 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 very very simple. They'll respond to whoever's behind them and get creative with the other car. If they don't have that option, then they're much easier to break. Indeed, and as you mentioned, quite as that 2019 Hungarian race was always cited as the reason why Gasly ultimately lost his seat halfway through uh, last year because he, he wasn't in a position to to be able to stop Lewis Hamilton uh, overturning Verstappen's lead in Hungary. There, um, going to come on to our last couple of topics now for this podcast. It's getting quite late here in London, um, and I've I've held everybody up by uh, travelling all the way back to Florence and recording the podcast later on. But you know, I'm the Grand Prix editor, so. I'll just do that. Not joking. Outrageous, outrageous arrogance there from me, Cotters. He's pointing How at the screen. How dare you? I know, yes. Um, you. Um, let's come on to actually slightly alarming uh, thing that happened to Kevin Magnussen. He had a gearbox problem that it first sort of uh, became apparent in qualifying. Um, but it, was, it was so bad on the upshifts, it was giving him a headache. Ultimately, they retired the car. But Jess, Kevin Magnussen, okay afterwards? Well, yes. I mean, I, I do like it when we write um, what the... Uh, the what the reason for retirements are and uh we've got physical next to kevin magnuson on the on the uh on the website um i mean from the sounds of it he's he's all right and he was he was very he was like well do you know what i'd really love to come in because i'm tootling around at the back of the pack right now and this hurts this isn't fun i just want to can it in but he did say you know it's my job i will i will try and push on but i mean (laughs) I think uh, Martin Brundle on the commentary was actually quite um, quite unsympathetic. He was like, oh, I'll get over it. Just just what happened. You you basically drive, he was basically saying that the cars these days are so smooth that it's probably just a little bit of a bump that he's uncomfortable with. But I mean, I'd like to see anybody try and drive around in a modern Formula One car where you feel like you're having the back of your head smacked every time you upshift. So um, I don't know. I think, yeah, it's quite, it was quite alarming, as you said, uh, that that can, that can happen. And obviously we want to make sure that these drivers aren't coming away with any serious uh, injuries. Um, but but I, I don't know if you guys have heard any different. Last time I heard, he, he seemed to be okay. Still walk, he's, he walked away. That's, that's the main thing. I, I tried to attend the Gunter Steiner press conference and it didn't happen on time and I ended up having to bail and uh, and go to Toto's instead. What so was, what was going on today with the media sessions? It was like nobody wanted to talk to anybody. No, it was it was very weird. You know, you sit there with the green light on and you have your comedy Zoom background ready and um, boom, there it is. <laughs> or there it isn't. There's was, there was nothing going on. So, you know, the host knows you're in the session and... Uh, and, and they're not turning up now. You know, we're, we're used to stuff not happening on time when we're in the paddock. But then, when we're in the paddock and and it's normal, you know, you send messages to one another and you're all sort of sorting it out, and we all work as a team to ensure that stuff gets covered. But um, 
when when it's all happening sort of remotely and you don't actually it, it, it's quite weird the the experience of, of of remotely waiting for a meeting to happen is a little bit different from the experience of sitting on the doorstep of a of a of, of a team motorhome waiting for someone to bother their ass to turn up because at least you know in in the latter scenario you've got eyes on the harassed pr who doesn't know where the team boss is and is you know busily sweating whereas when you're just looking at a green light on your computer you really haven't got a clue what's going on is it i don't know i don't want to be the complaining media outlet but do are we worried it's a bit dystopian in that you know you can't you can't just doorstep people you can't can't you know put, do a follow-up question because you've had your allotted time and you put your hand up and now now we've got to go it's quite it's quite it, it, i know it's well we've got only got four races left i still can't believe we've only got four races left this season has absolutely flown but it is it is a very it's very much uh we've got to eke out what we can when you get your uh your 30 seconds to speak it is quite irksome isn't it but at the same time i, th- I think the it's it's reduced the tendency of certain people to be really bloody annoying and try and dominate and be the alpha male of any um, press conference. Oh, they're still annoying. Trying to be funny. Oh, they're still <laughs> annoying, but at least you can mute them. And, and uh, so I'd, I'd actually quite... I, I'm willing to give away a little bit of disjointedness for certain egos to be put back in their box... Who could you possibly be referring to there, Codders? But uh, Jess, I think you're right. It is it is quite dystopian, this sort of the way. Not Again, as you say, we're not trying to throw toys out of the pram here and complaining about stuff. But I just know that it's it's not motorsport alone. It's across all sport. The, the, the reduction in media access necessary because of the coronavirus protocols in, in lots of sports. I know in cycling, in football, you know, the, the, the teams enjoy not having that extra scrutiny and as we know from any functioning society you have to have that uh, that scrutiny for it to for it to work as best you can hope for and of course um a, a lot of the teams i'd, I'd say a, a good half the teams don't actually bother to engage with us on zoom or teams don't they we just basically get um what i would um without willing to show without wanting to show any disrespect to our colleagues um, in the TV broadcast arena, but what are generally quite soft questions in the pen, we basically get the audios and that's a sort of a, here you are, that's it, as if you've gone into McDonald's and, and had some sort of miserable wizened burger in a bap shoved into your car window, uh, rather than actually be, be able to ask any questions yourself. Um, just, just interesting on that. Um, I, I'm sure they, well, they got no defence. I'm sure they won't mind me saying, but Alfa Romeo is particularly uh, not good at organising the sort of their own separate Zoom press conferences away from the official FIA uh, stuff. But on Thursday, after was it Thursday? No, I'm forgetting myself because it's a two-day weekend. On Friday, after Raikkonen and Giovinazzi's uh, contract extension was extended, they did offer a Giovinazzi session, but they scheduled it and it clashed with what turned out to be the McLaren press conference. So I was sat in the. We were all told when you're at the track, you have to go to certain areas so you don't create all this feedback on the zoom call and it you know you interrupt other people so i'm there i'm asking my question of i think it was andrea side or maybe carlos side. It actually happened twice and a, a gentleman to my left um a very esteemed gentleman who used to work for autosport was uh rather loudly inquiring of antonio giovinazzi and no one could hear what i was saying because my microphone was picking up his question in the press conference but i think it is all there if, you, if anyone's got access to f1 tv go and have a look at me being uh, me being embarrassed by that i thought it was funny i could hear what's going on but anyway there we go um 
that's enough of my ridiculous life. Uh, let's come on to the final topic, a question I'm going to ask all three of you. We're going to go clockwise on my Zoom screen as I can see it. So we'll come to John first. Um, the question is, do we want to see Imola back on the calendar? And just very quickly, I'm going to get in my answer. I really enjoyed this weekend. It was absolutely fantastic. Um, amazing location, very poignant with obviously the you know the, the, the terrible accidents that have happened there in the past, um, but a fantastic place. There's a little cafe Luke and I went to on Thursday because we, we got out to Italy so early and um, thought it was just going to be a little sandwich place actually a fantastic restaurant we had a brilliant brilliant lunch very near to, to Tamburello walked around I ran the track twice it was brilliant first time I've ever been able to break a PB because I haven't been to most of these tracks before um, so yeah really really enjoyed Imola um, unlike a couple of our um, more slippery colleagues in the press room I thought we were treated fantastically um, yeah okay the media centre wasn't open because they'd given it over to hospitality and obviously expecting spectators to come in that didn't come in but they, they got us into the grandstand we got to see the pit lane got to see the cars and that's always good and fantastic food was served in the makeshift media center so anyway i've witted on john would you like to see imola back on the f1 calendar permanently yeah i think it was good i think even um because sometimes you can have tracks that are great challenges for drivers and don't work as a spectacle or aren't great for racing um and i know it was difficult to overtake at imola but i think today proved that actually overtaking isn't the be all and end all of a good formula one race if overtaking had been easy today if the, the drs zone had been super powerful then all that would have happened is Max would have blasted past um, Valtteri pretty early on in the race once he was being hindered by the debris, and Lewis would have probably blasted past both of them and we would have had a really boring procession. So I think you've got to understand that the, an F1 race isn't just about easy overtaking passes and having a, a hundred overtaking moves in the race. It's, it's more complex than that, and having cars you know stuck behind and difficult to overtake uh, is great because those laps where Max was putting Valtteri under pressure and Valtteri was making the mistakes and locking up and running wide I thought was excellent and it made Kvyat's moves much better so um, I liked it it was an old school track which delivered an old school Grand Prix um, which you know wasn't wrecked by fake DRS moves where we have 200 passes in four laps um, yeah bring it back Jess what do you think should Imola be back on the regular calendar in Formula 1? Hmm. I have a feeling I'm going to get absolutely torn to shreds by the listeners and probably by my wonderful esteemed colleagues surrounding me. Um, I'm not sure. Uh, jury's out. I think I definitely, I agree with John in that this season has, has shown us or has enabled us to see what characterful old school tracks can bring um to formula one and that the maybe the more modern tracks that we've gone to in recent times just just don't cut it um and are a bit naff um so maybe but i think there's like there's a, there's there's probably going to be a few contenders for me like if you're saying right you've only got one i mean you haven't actually told me that like, you haven't said gun to head you've got one track to bring back which one which one would you do so maybe i'm shooting myself in the foot here I don't know why I'm doing all these gun analogies. <laughs> it's an amazing mixed metaphor. Is it to your head or to your foot? Both. Both. Uh, how many bullets? <laughs> Alex, Alex is wielding two right now. Um, uh, I don't know. But, but I, I would. I would rather. I would. Uh, again, I don't think I'm going to be alone saying this. I'd rather have an Imola than a Sochi, for sure. Um, but I don't know. Jury's out. I'm, and I'm also still waiting to see how Istanbul performs with modern Formula One cars. Because whilst I agree with John, 
F1 races are definitely not all about overtaking. I wasn't on, I didn't, I don't know if I enjoyed it as much as Portimao. I think I enjoyed the the Portuguese Grand Prix a little more than I enjoyed today's Grand Prix. But again, like that might just that might just be me. And also, and Alex, like, like we can't we can't at the moment can't enjoy all the lovely amenities that these circuits hold because we uh, we can't get out there like like you can at the moment. So, so that's not that's not a factor for me. I'm thinking about what I'm watching on the coverage. Um, and whilst you know, Imola, as, as everybody said, has got amazing history. Um, it's a great track. I don't know if I was as enthused. No, no, you're you're completely right. I'm uh, first of all very lucky to be able to go to these races, um, and and fingers crossed, it's not my last one of the season. But we shall see what the new lockdown brings and everything. But you know, my, my me me travelling is the, is the least of Formula One's worries, as it should be, frankly. Um, but yeah, you're right, completely seduced by the uh, by the attractions of Imola, there. Jess. Um, Codders coming to you. Oh, actually, just before I do, just on the two day weekend, um, I thought it worked very well. But I think Toto Wolf raised an, raised an interesting point uh, on Saturday when he said, you know, it's not going to work for every track when you've got hundreds of thousands of people packing into Melbourne and Silverstone, are they surely their ticket price is going to have to go down if they're not seeing as much Formula One action. But anyway, that's probably the topic. But, no, but my argue, my argue, my, yeah, oh, just quickly, Alex, I will. I will mm-hmm. So I agree there is a there is a debate to be had here. But surely the circuits can just put something else on or, you know, the drivers can do more fan time or some like there's there's other stuff that circuits can do on those days that that isn't track running. Have other support races. There are a ton of support races that want the additional uh, additional airtime and, and to be involved with a with a Formula One race. So I don't think that argument applies. <laughs> well, I think uh, I think you'll struggle to get back the extra day from the drivers who seem absolutely delighted to, be able to stay in their uh, in their apartments for travelling out and having to speak to the media and then uh, and then getting their Formula One cards. Anyway, Goddess, coming to you finally. Would you like to see Imola back on a permanent F1 calendar? <sighs> Maybe. Do you know? I've Reichen actually never like, covered. Uh, that was a bit of a boit, isn't it? I've I've never covered a Grand Prix at Imola before. I've been there for other stuff, but never covered a Grand Prix there. And I know it's a beautiful part of the world. Uh, I'm I'm not sure that it is conducive to a, a great Grand Prix at the moment. Even though, obviously, what we saw this weekend was interesting. Um, I just kind of think that. In the context of a normal Grand Prix season with a three-day weekend, with all that practice, you would probably end up with a fairly boring and formulaic Grand Prix. So I, I think you know we'll we'll take what we've got, which was a, a, a an intriguing, interesting, much more eventful than we expected race. Uh, despite you know the world champion said it's going to be boring and terrible race, we didn't get that. It was interesting. But I, I say, you know, we'll 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 put that in our back pockets, enjoy it, remember it as it was, and move on to other venues. And 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 for me, just um, Imola has too many bad memories in Formula One: the death of Ayrton Senna, um, horrendous a- accidents uh, for other people, the the the, the death of Roland Ratzenberger, and and every, every time. Every time cars went past those sections, I was just brought back to that time. And and even though um, that weekend in 1994, um, I watched that Grand Prix unfold while sitting on the the bag containing the hockey kit of one of my uni housemates. So and we were watching it on a 14 inch TV. So I, I can't claim to have been a Grand Prix correspondent at that time. But just my whole perception of that venue has, has always been been tainted by that weekend. So. Uh, I'm I'm quite glad for it to sit in the closet of 
of, of memory. Fair enough. I think that's very well argued for all of them. And of course, you know, uh, Imola may, may not even be able to afford the hosting fees that Formula One obviously wants. That's why it goes to all the races that are existing on the calendar. Um, but anyway, guys, we've we've gone on much, much longer than I was planning, considering how late we started and how long, how long a day it's been. Um, but yeah, thank you very much for joining me on this podcast. And thanks to everybody listening along. Now, just before we go, we'd like to remind you that the latest issue of Autosport magazine came out on Thursday and is available on the supermarket shelves and in newsagents, as well as on the doormats of subscribers. There'll be a new issue of the magazine for you to pick up every Thursday, packed full of news, analysis, and the usual stunning photography. And of course, if you want unlimited access to Autosport from the comfort of your home, it's autosport.com slash plus to find out how to subscribe to our digital package. We'll be back soon with another episode of the Autosport Podcast. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hey, what's up, guys? This is MMA fighter Clay Guida, and I'm not afraid of anyone or anything, but losing my hair was an entirely different kind of fight. So if you're suffering from hair loss like I was, then you got to check out my boys at Bosley. Pound for pound, they are the champions of hair restoration. That's why I turned to Bosley to get my hair back. The entire Bosley team was so professional and kind from start to finish. All it took was a simple one-day procedure, and I was on my way back to rocking my full hair again. So take it from me. Don't wait if you are thinning or receding. I'm so thrilled with my results, I just wish I would have went to Bosley sooner. It's time to finally knock out hair loss because the best is yet to come. Check out Bosley today. When MMA fighter Clay Guida was losing his hair, he trusted Bosley to get it back. Now it's your turn. Get a free information kit, plus get a $250 off gift card when you text CLAY to 203203. Text CLAY to 203203. Or go to bosley.com. That's bosley.com. Sports Social Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.